What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and happy holidays from the Nerdwide Podcast crew. I'm your host, Tyler Haynes, with my good friend and jolly co-host, Mr. Chris Rivers. Chris, we are exactly one week away from Christmas. How has your week been? How excited are you? And uh, how depressed are you? We're taking a two-week break. <laughs> depressed about the break, yeah. Mm. Uh, work has slowed down, which is nice. Mm. Um, I've got some time off coming up, especially at the first of the year, so that's going to be fun. Um, yeah, I'm excited. It's been going pretty good. So, what about you? How uh, how's life treating? You? Uh, this past week's been busy, and it feels like the week up to Christmas, but it's two weeks until it. So I don't really like at work. We did um, our holiday party like on a Tuesday. No, it was a Wednesday morning. And then we had our our unit uh, lunch on Friday, and we went to the zoo illumination thing here in Nashville, where you just walk around the zoo with all the Chinese lights and everything. It was very pretty. And then I went to an MMA fight last night. So I am I've been up the past two nights way past my bedtime normally, which is you know seven eight ish, going to bed at midnight one o'clock in the morning. It's just you know I feel like I've left that part behind me, but you know here we are. So if I hear snoring in the middle of the podcast, yeah, it's it's oh. me. Yeah, <laughs> I've already taken a nap today. I we I think we got up at nine, which is very you know late. We're usually up at seven, so it's been a weekend. But man, I'm excited. We got Christmas next week, and then the New Year, the week after. But I'm excited to do our you know our yearly recap of our favorite shows, games, and movies. So I'm really excited about that. It's one of my favorite episodes I think we do every year. And it's right around the corner. You know, we take a holiday break because I'll be going through the motions of Christmas next weekend. But still have a work week to get through, and I am not excited for that. (laughs) But we have episode 96 today, ladies and gentlemen. It's a quick housekeeping before we jump into all of our shows we're going to recap and review for you. Don't forget to subscribe to either one of our YouTube or podcasting service of your choice. If you enjoy the show, make sure you leave us a thumbs up on YouTube or give us a good rating whatever podcasting app you use. Of course, whatever, if you give us good ratings things, it's more accessible to everybody else out there in the world. And we like to be accessible and to have more listeners and viewers on this show. If you don't enjoy what you see or hear, on the other hand, let us know down in the comments. Uh, we don't know how to fix the show if you don't let us know how to fix it or what is wrong for that issue. But, of course, if you want to go the extra mile, you can always go to patreon.com slash nerdwide. Three different tiers for three different monetary values for a monthly uh, subscription service there. A whole bunch of goodies for each different tier, so make sure you check that out if you want to do so as well. But, Chris, have you been watching anything fun this week? I know there hadn't been a whole lot of, I don't know, I guess weekly shows. This might have been our last week for our weekly shows as far as, like, uh, cable. But other than that, have you seen anything fun? TV. I've got a, a movie I watched that I had planned on mm. watching. Uh, but we'll, we'll get to that one. That's exciting. We, I am almost done with Chuck. I am four or five episodes from being done. So by the time we come back from the break, I'll be done with it. I should be done with it this week, hopefully. And I wanted to tell you, I meant, almost mentioned it before the show, definitely did not watch this season. Because there are things happening. Of course, I can spoil it now because, what, 10 years old. God, is it really? Yeah, I guess 2011, I think is when it ended. No, yeah, somewhere around in there. 
But like Stan Lee being in it had no idea about. There's a whole bunch of like plot lines. I'm like, I don't remember any of this. And Jamie says, Yeah, we must have watched like the first two episodes. I was like, the first episode I was like, I'm kind of hazy on. But everything else, I'm like, I've got no earthly idea. So I'm 100% sure now that I have not watched this season, which saddens me. But it's also fun because it's a lot of fun things. Then I watched the Harry and Meghan documentary. I've watched watched four episodes so far of the six episodes. And let me tell you, that royal family is crazy. And if you don't believe that the media spends whatever they want you to spend to believe, then you need to watch this. Because it's just in England, which I know our networks of things over here in the States are not any different than that. But it's it's pretty crazy to see how their lives pan out. And Harry seems like a really cool dude. So, I think that's it. Oh, we watched Ghostmas, the Ghosts uh, one-hour special. And we watched The Rocks. We're caught up on all that for the year. It's been a... We're done for our year for our shows now. Besides like our Doom Patrols and National Treasure, which we're going to talk about. So Yeah. Yeah. But man, it's one of those. It feels like the year is ramping down and I don't know how I'm going to get through this week. I really don't... I don't know. It's weird having Christmas on a Sunday because it throws my whole week off. Like we still have a whole week of left of work. Which with me, it still has to be because, you know, the hospital never closes. But it just feels weird. It doesn't, I don't know. I feel like I'm all partied out. It's just a week. So, but let's not talk about that any longer. Let's go to Doom Patrol Season 4, Episode 3, titled Nostalgia Patrol. This is going back to nerdsandbeyond.com by Mal again. Let's see. We begin with an old movie overlaid with Rita's scathing commentary. As it seems, this is what this, this was the role she was lost out on. She sits before the TV, devouring one of her day's roasted chickens, tearing chunks off the bone while she hate watches the black and white film. The doorbell rings, prompting a yell of "Door!" from Rita. Despite several attempts, no one else answers it. She begrudgingly hauls herself out of her armchair. By the time she gets there, she's met with only the breeze, though that does deliver a stray flyer announcing a Rita Farr retrospective at the theater in Cloverton. Rita is delighted, grinning with glee. She picks up the paper and reads it. She slams the door imperiously, yelling to the empty hallway that at least someone appreciates her. Elsewhere in Doom Manor, Jane is talking to herself about finding a purpose, as instructed by Kay. Of course, this uh, show is very graphic, so just get ready for what we're about to talk about here. Um, from her frantic tone and the mess of a puzzle piece that's heaped on the floor, it doesn't seem to be going well. Jane decides to try and drown out her thoughts with loud music, but it doesn't last more than a minute before she's back on the floor grumbling angrily. For the first time, though, she shifts through the sea of blank pieces. One appears that has a pattern, a single eye. Shelly, Jane asks, and picking up the piece cautiously. As she says the name aloud, smoke pours from the piece and overtakes her. Her breath ratchets up and she falls back looking very, very happy for a moment until suddenly the smoke cuts off and the room is quiet once more. Whoa, Jane says. And Indeed. <laughs> In Detroit, Vic is going to meet up with some old friends as he's promised himself. They greet him warmly, uh, though one of the guys, Calvin, seems notably cooler than the others. They are surprised that his tech is gone and the revelation that he hasn't got his powers anymore. Although Calvin seems a little suspicious for the most part, the group seems happy to see him, and they reminisce about old times with the robotics club they used to be in. Which is just weird for me, because he was a high school like quarterback football player. So... This take on him being into tech and things like that is a little different. But, you know, I'm not angry about it. 
back at HQ, Larry is still out with Keeg. He's starting to cook out as a light flicker, but he doesn't get any further with electronic alien baby. Just burns his dinner. Rouge appears as Larry is exclaiming his frustration to Keeg, and Larry comments that she must think he's off his rocker. Not really, she says, but he may want to consider that Keeg is just gone. Larry is not impressed or convinced. Is, is that the beast's summation of his life, to be alone? After checking whether he has any powers at all without Keeg, which, spoiler, he does not, Rue suggests that Larry enjoy the peace and quiet. With a touch of snark, Larry says he gets it. Now that Rouge is team leader, she's going to have emotional wellness check-ins. He suggests that before she goes around giving advice, she should make an advantage of the person she has hurt the most. Rita is at the theater surrounded by tubs of popcorn and she settles in to watch her own retrospective in the otherwise empty theater. As the first film, A Secret Rendezvous, begins, thick smoke can be seen entering the theater and heading towards her. She can smell cotton candy within a moment, the greenish mist swirls around her and she is out cold. The mist heads in for the screen. Returning to Detroit, Vic is reminiscing with his old friends. There's an awkward moment as Vic's mom comes up, but he explains to him that he did not get to say goodbye to her. Well, he did get to say goodbye to her in the afterlife when the Doom Patrol half died. Calvin is still verging on unfriendly at every turn and says they're talking about Vic way too much. So Vic asks Derek what he's been doing in Detroit. He tells Vic that he's been running a robotics club now teaching local kids. Vic's offer of help is rebuffed, however. Derek has the other guys to volunteer. He can rely on them. The awkward moment is smoothed over with the announcement of a laser tag tournament, and even Calvin loosens up and agrees to play. Rita awakens on a pillow festooned pillow, a sofa, as orchestral music plays. The world is looking suspiciously sepia. Oh no, Rita quietly exclaims, looking around. It only takes a moment for her mother to arrive and to confirm that Rita is in a secret rendezvous. She begins to protest, but is taken aback by the arrival of another actor, Kincaid. The handsome man surprises her with a jewel and places it around her neck. Swept up for a moment in that kind of life she wishes she had, Rita can't help but play along. After all, she says, why not me? Why shouldn't I be loved? The necklace shimmers as she gives in, and a drop of something almost bloody in the appearance begins to feel it. Back in the real world, Cliff is contemplating his oven glove. Jane arrives and flops down the opposite couch as Cliff immediately notes she's glowing. She looks great. What happened, he asks. Remember when we were in Cloverton, Jane begins carefully and flexed that thing, the thing that made us all feel. Cliff catches on immediately. The orgasm thing? I don't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to talk about orgasms or feelings or little butts that go pop in your hand, apparently. Clearly, <laughs> clearly Cliff still has a lot of his mind that he's keeping between himself and his smiley oven glove. Larry announces that what they should do is sit in peace and quiet as they all have stuff going on. But he's cut off by an alarm and Rouge's entrance, calling a team meeting. To the team's horror, she's proposing a trust exercise, although Larry points out it's not that the team trust doesn't trust each other or didn't, but that they don't trust her. What Rouge suggests for the first time is to go to support Rita at her retro retrospective. Very, very begrudgingly, the team come on board to help her out. Even Larry, after an initial resistance and some chanting, agrees to pause his his. Keeg reconciliation attempts and head to the theater. As the group arrives, Secret Rendezvous can be seen playing on the screen. Still, Polly, now Rita, is acting her way through the scenes. Larry, who has seen the old movie before, quickly latches on to the fact that the dialogue is not right. It's Rouge who puts it all together. Rita is in the movie. On screen, one of Rita's co-stars begs her to stay, say the right dialogue and to do what she wants. Unfortunately, he pops out of existence a moment later. The team, uh, let's see... Before the smoke develops her on screen with Rita, the team is in the theater are next. Cliff can smell Nutella, and they all pass out, with the exception of Rouge, who manages to quickly catch on and turn into her bird form and escape the cloud. Let's see, there's a lot of fluff here. Uh, let's see. Over in Detroit, laser tag is going on. Vic and his old friends are kicking ass in the game until Vic tells Derek that he has his back. 
Derek says, "Yeah, that's what you've always said, but you left." The two get into a behind a neon seat, get into it behind a neon set piece. The game continuing around them. Vic was grieving. He didn't want to be cyborg, but the more his friends tried to reach out to him, the further away he got. He's trying to make up for now, returning to his body and the people most important to him. But it's a little too late. They've changed. They aren't the people they once were. While he was invincible, they were vulnerable. Derek lost his best friend, but Vic did too, and he's here now. Why can't that be enough? In the closet, Cliff apologizes for blowing Jane off earlier. If she wants to talk about orgasm feelings, they can do that. Jane asks if Cliff remembers Shelly, the fog. Uh, she explains about the eye on the puzzle piece and the tender, gentle feeling that blew her away when she found it. Cliff asks what the problem is if she likes it. Kay, of course, Jane is worried about what's best for Kay. Fuck it, forget about Kay, Cliff says. But Jane can, and that's the problem. Larry interrupts with a not Oliver swinging open the closet doors to let them know his new acquaintance can help them find Rita. Uh, let's see. Rouge lines up a drink or three, thinking that she sent the team to their deaths. She takes a verbal tour of the worst hits before drunkenly promising herself that if the Doom Patrol returns, that she's going to make Rita leader again. Deciding that she needs a bigger bottle, she heads off to find one and leaves her strewn documents behind. When the coast is clear, Keek flickers his way out of the lights and goes to examine the files. Let's see. Um, all right. This time, Rita awakes in a sci-fi movie. Not Oliver, revealed obviously to be Mr. 104, has led Larry, Cliff, and Jane to her. But of course, he was working with Dr. Janice all along. To wring yet more emotions from Rita, the rest of the Doom Patrol stepped into a cage over a flaming ravine. Furious, Rita tries to save him, save them. Her family, the people she loves the most, even if they chose Rouge over her, she tells them so, and Dr. Janice, who appears to be the emotional finale, feels the less of the gem with Rita's passion. Immortus will rise, she intones, disappearing with, with Jewel, leaving the patrol cage and Rita scrambling over the flaming ravine. Thank goodness, Keeg zooms in and saves the day. Instead of jumping back into Larry, with a blinding zap, he enters Mr. 104 instead. They all wake up in the theater except Rita who is still out cold. Back in Detroit, Vic and his friends exit their old hangout spot. They bid their goodbyes and say it was good to see each other but something's still not quite right. At the last moment, Derek stops and returns with a robot that they built way back when. Time to share custody. He's had the first 10 years, the next are on Vic and Vic tells him that he's proud of him. With the screecher breaks, Cliff and Co. arrive home, waking Rouge. Rita is still unconscious and being carried by Cliff. Vic asks what's going on, and Larry soberly answers they have no idea what's going on. It was a good episode. I like the whole going into uh, Rita's movies and kind of going with that. And I like the whole Rouge seeing, hey, this is what I've done wrong. I'm actually going to try and fix this now instead of doing what I always do. But, again, Larry and Keeg are still my favorites, and I still want to know what's going on with them. I feel like that's all I watch for at the one point. Yeah. Um, I like that we we advanced Vic's story a little bit more. Yes. Here. He's not um, just a little flesh bag now. But. Yeah. And, um, I, I, I don't know. I still think that he goes back to his tech. Yeah. I still think they find a way to get him because he's cyborg right this is it's the whole thing they're supposed to be i think it yeah. i don't know if it's because they're trying to cut down on cgi or makeup or, or something but i'm like okay it's it's time to get him back to where he's supposed to be yeah so yeah exactly um and it looks like we have a returning character for next week too who's that did you see the uh the preview oh there, there's previews on the show I probably don't ever watch long enough to see the preview. <laughs> there wasn't what I watched, yeah. Unless it's, unless it was a, 
for a different story, but it looks like we're getting Miles' daughter back. Interesting. We've been wondering what was going to happen with her, because was it last season she was in, or two seasons ago? It might... That was last season, right? Season three? She was like the first half? Oh, man, I don't even remember. Let me let me double check real quick. I'm going to look at the cast for the next episode. If they have it... Uh... They have it listed. But I saw a preview. I gotta start watching past the credits. I did for our movie to watch this week, though. I did do that. Did you? I did. Because it had the... That one was a good one because it had the whole... Um, which we'll talk about it later. But in the credits, it had the original movie. And then this movie, pictures like side by side of some of the same moments. That was very, very cool to watch. That was, that was good. Uh, all right. Trying to avoid alerts that are popping up. <laughs> Titans are still playing. Not for long, apparently. Right. Yeah. yeah uh, the next episode to air on the twenty second, and they only have one person listed in the cast, so they don't have her listed. Oh, so they don't even know. Uh, that's crazy. That's what it. That's what it looked like. So, well, that'd be good to have her back. I like her a lot. Yeah. So, mm, mm, so we will, we'll be essentially taking a three-week break. So we'll have three episodes to watch and recap next time we come back from the holiday break, from everything. And it'll be the same thing for National Treasure: Edge of History for that one as well. So, hang with us. We'll get there and we'll talk about it all. But something that did end this week. Santa Claus's episode six, titled. We have a title. I don't think I've got one. Uh, Scott Calvin saves Christmas again. Uh, we're going to showbizcheatsheet.com uh, by Julia Zorale, and here we go for this one. Twas the night before Christmas for the Calvin family and the rest of the world. Grace grabs a special snow globe while the wobbly woods witch, also known as La Bafana, uh, make a special soup. After learning the Calvins have turned to the North Pole, she reaches for the red coat, even though it is missing again. Simon found the magical horse, but somehow Miss Carol, Sandra, and Cal. The Calvins search for Scott, who is still in a holding cell. He released, uh, he released that Simon... Well, he released that Simon even looked for like... Oh, he admits that Simon didn't even look like Santa. There was no beard, no jolly belly. That means the sanctification process has not even begun. That's because he hadn't put on the coat yet, and there is still a chance to save Christmas. He's not officially Santa until he wears the red suit. Unfortunately, a drone hears that entire conversation and reports back, reports back to Simon. Whoever controls the coat controls the North Pole. Just as Simon sends his drone out for the coat, Grace brings Simon her gift. He doesn't want it, though, and he's so close to getting everything that he has ever wanted. What more could he want, Grace asks. He's already Santa Claus. Meanwhile, Noel is sobbing sadly about wanting a Betty Christmas. I love this scene so much. Uh, the Calvin family needs his help to find Scott, but Cal re realizes he can sense that they're close. They're finally reunited, and Noel says the jail cell bars are licorice. He starts munching while Simon finds the toy soldiers from the Santa Claus 2. A nice callback to the old movies. Um, the Santa reunites with her animal friend Lewis from the very first episode and asks for help finding the coat. Grace hears that and looks upset as she's on the other side of the bed. How, again, this is me speaking, how nobody sees Sandra. Uh, how Sandra doesn't see Grace on the other side of the bed, I don't know. But you know, it wasn't in the plot. Um, 
Let's see. Carol takes care of the toy soldiers while Cal opens up some drones. He actually sits there and talks to them, befriends them, and to help find Scott with his coat. The Calvin family sees a Santa Claus coat just as Simon does. Simon snags the coat and threatens to burn it, but Grace stops him from being the bad guy with her snow globe of Christmas memories. The coat returns to the real Santa, but now the orb that measures Christmas spirit is missing. They find it in the workshop, but it already has a black center and it's too late and Scott Calvin blames himself. Instead of stepping up, he stepped down. Scott embraces his family and thanks their magical hug. The Christmas spirit is return- restored and the elves all start returning. Betty and Noel see each other and hug. Betty hugs Santa, and with three hours until midnight, Scott Calvin puts on the coat and resumes his role as Santa. Because it's a team effort, he invites the whole entire family to ride in the sleigh. For his last stop, Cal delivers the gifts to Riley's house. After gifting her poinsettias, her favorite flowers, they kiss. Most families receive a magical snow globe as as their gift, but hey, you can't always get what you want. You get what you need. Which, fantastic song to put in at the end of this episode. Now, the first season's done. We've got some news to talk about coming up here for TV. But I wish this was just a movie. And I don't like that it was all broken up. If it was, I would have enjoyed it a little bit more. Like, have this episode for next week. The week actually before Christmas. Um, but I... Coming... Coming off of watching all three movies back to back to back, I felt like this would have been better of a movie format. It would have flowed a little bit better to me personally. Um, But, you know, it's fine. It's more Santa Claus, which is what I love. My favorite Christmas movies other than uh, Iron Man 3. And I feel like we got everything we wanted in this one. And it was beautiful. They tied everything up pretty good. And I loved having uh, Sandra and Cal out helping which is what we kind of predicted but i'm curious to see you know kind of where we go from here but i i enjoyed this story yeah i thought it was good um the i didn't mind the show format it just i think if you're gonna do it as as episodes make them a little bit longer right um because you know we talked about it a couple episodes in particular it was over, and I'm going, but it just started. Right. It's it's fly- <laughs> because it flows so well. Yeah. So I could see that. I, I could see they could have trimmed some stuff out that they really didn't need. That they only made it because it was six episodes. Right. And condensed it down to an action-packed movie. Well, I don't know how much. Well, there's there's a decent bit of action. Yeah. Um. And just released it that way. I liked it. I gave it. What did I give it on Letterbox? I think oh. I gave it four stars on Letterbox. I need to start doing that. <laughs> I always forget uh, TV time and Letterbox. Oh, uh, Titans just tied it up with 48 seconds left to go. Woohoo! So that's exciting. And then, yes, I'm, I'm excited to see where we go from here. It was a. A good show. I had a lot of callbacks and a lot of answers to a lot of the kind of the plot holes we had throughout the movies. Um, we didn't see the I forget what they call them, but the Council of like, Magical Beings. I think is what it is, like with the uh, Easter Bunny, Cupid, and everything. We haven't seen them. And they were in episodes or well, movies two and three, so maybe it's things for things to come. Yeah, 
So. Uh, I I did like the scene though with the licorice bars. <laughs> Everybody loving it. Dude. It, was, it was great. I I couldn't do it. I don't like licorice, but Cal yeah. cracked me up because you could definitely tell he's his father's kid. Because he's like, yeah. is there like another cell with uh, red vines or something like that, or uh, yeah. or Twizzlers or whatever he said? I was like, oh, yeah, you're your father's kid, all right. <laughs> yep. So, all right, our next show to talk about National Treasure, Edge of Histories episode, Edge of History, episode one and two. We're going to a new website called The Laughing Place for both of these, and this is Bill Gausel for this recaps. It's 2001, and Peter Sadusky, played by Harvey Keitel, is alone in his office recounting the tale of the hidden treasure of Montezuma. As Cortez and his band of conquistadors invaded America, attacking the Mayans, Aztec, and Inca, the grand treasure uh, of the three civilizations has been sec- uh, secreted out by an unknown group of women protectors and hidden from the conquering Europeans. At the same time as Sadusky recounts his knowledge in Mexico, a treasure hunter named Rafael, dressed as a nun, has found one of the clues to the hidden treasure. Word about double-crossing the mysterious man named Salazar, there is a fight with Salazar's goons, and Raphael makes it home to help his wife and infant daughter escape the onslaught of a double-crossed Salazar. While Raphael will stay behind to buy time for his wife and daughter, his young child, Jess, played by Lisette Oliveira, which is our main actress for the show, will grow up never knowing her father, and with the instructions from her mother to never grow up to be like her dad. In modern-day Baton Rouge, well, never mind, we've got Cameron Dicker... From San Diego, kicked a 43 yard field goal and made it 17 14 LA with four seconds left. So I imagine that game's over. Sorry. In modern day Baton Rouge, um, Jess with her friends Tasha, Oren, and Ethan are participating in an escape room with their talents that successfully escape when no other team has. The show works well together. Let's hope they remember this as the show progresses. Um, I'm going to put up pause there because it opened up with that and i was like oh she's in prison where what is going on but no just an escape game i was like, okay i like that a lot better because it shows how her brain works you know <laughs> but i thought that was good on the other side of the atlantic billy pierce played by catherine zeta jones is making her way through a new villa that she bought in spain as to why she bought another home, Billy is clear with her intentions. She believes that there are hidden relics that are related to an ancient treasure that was hidden from Cortez when he came to the New World. Not wasting any time, Billy smashes through a painting to find a hidden room and multiple artifacts. Jess's mother died a couple years ago, we find out, and now she works at a local storage locker facility trying to get by. When her boss tasks her with identifying the owning of a delinquent locker, Jess uses items from the storage locker to track down Peter Sadusky. The flag in the locker belonged to Jake Sadusky, Peter's deceased son, and as they begin to talk, Peter compliments Jess on her ability to track him down. He tells her that she reminds him of another person he used to know. Um, These are, of course, early allusions to Ben Gates. Jess's necklace is visible, and Peter proceeds to tell her that the necklace bears a symbol of a group of treasure protectors. As Jess explains that the medallion is the only thing she has left of her father, Peter tells her that the medallion would have only been given to someone who was part of the treasure protectors. Before leaving the Sadusky home, Peter gives Jess a clue to finding a relic related to the lost treasures. It's an envelope which Jess refuses to take, but when she arrives home, she finds out that Peter slipped the envelope in her bag. It's addressed to her grandson, Liam, and Jess is unsure how to proceed with this. Meanwhile, Billy Pierce has been keeping an eye on Peter Sadusky, seeing through her surveillance that Jess misspent 10 minutes inside the home. She decides to follow up on the newcomer to the treasure hunt. At the storage locker facility, FBI agents, in quotes, show up to question Jess and inform her that Peter Sadusky has died. While the agents are intimidating and threatening, Jess tells them nothing and they leave her alone. 
Billy wonders about Jess and whether or not she lied uh, to her fake FBI goons. With a sword of Cortez in her hands, the master villain has a hunch that there's more to this unknown girl than meets the eye. Billy has Jess's apartment ransacked, fearing the box of items from the Sandusky locker is lost. Jess is relieved to see that Orin had the box and brings it back home. Jess decides to go look for Peter's grandson. Jess and Tasha talk to Liam only to find out there was a bad blood between grandfather and grandson. He refuses to take the envelope and doesn't care what may be inside. He has not thought for a moment about the treasure, except that it is a fool's errand that costs his father's life. Back at the apartment, Jess opens a letter and sees the hidden clothes in a picture of Peter, Liam, and his father, Jack. Enlisting the help of Tasha, they sneak into the Baton Rouge Masonic Templar building and find an ancient relic that is part of a clue to the lost treasure of Mesoamerica. Knowing that Jess poses a threat to Billy's success, she calls the young treasure hunter and offers to pay any price named. Jess has noble her response and says no. Being the master villain that she is, Billy ups the stakes and informs Jess that she has captured and kidnapped Orin. The episode closes the shot of a bearded man pasting another picture of the symbol that was found on Jess's medallion on his prison cell wall. That is our first look at the infamous Salazar. Listen, I am all in on this show. Even from like the first little bits, there's one little bit that I don't like, and it's the the over explaining of things that uh, Jess does, which is how the show is, which I am, um, and how the movies were too. It's just an adjustment, you know, because we're I'm I've watched a bunch of Sherlockian shows and a lot of these detective shows. You don't really find out what's going through people's heads mainly until the end. But like I feel like she's over-explaining things, which I have to understand. Hey, this is on Disney Plus. This is what the show and movie always is. It's fine. Get over it. But man, the the way that she finds out some of these things is, is awesome. Like the whole finding the uh, relic inside of the Mason Lodge was really cool. Um, sneaking around and realizing that's not the real FBI because she's got all this knowledge in her head that it's signed by the current acting um, head of the FBI and not the current running president. And I was like, yeah, this show, man, it's good. It's real good. Let's see. see what, at the very beginning, when they get out of the, they beat the escape room. No one has ever beat the escape room. Mm-hmm. And Oren screws him over because he has a cell phone on him. And even right. though they didn't use the cell phone, they're disqualified because he has a cell phone. Yep. But man, that was, because, that's crazy. <laughs> He, he can't wait to buy these sneakers. Right. And that's the whole reason that he has them. I mean, I don't blame him, sneakerhead. I mean, it's, it, these kids are older. I mean, they're, what, 21, at least 21 minimum, because it was 21 years since, you know, the past between her dad's death and now. And I think it's just really cool. And it's, it's going to be a, a fun, fun show, especially with this episode two titled The Treasure Map. Orin thinks he's about to get a deal on some sneakers, but the sellers aren't that friendly. Eventually, Billy tells him he's going to be their hostage, and Jess makes a trade for his life. The relic from the Masonic Hall for Orin. A meeting has been scheduled for 3 o'clock at the USS Kid. Jess figures she has some time before she makes the exchange. Ethan asks if everything is okay and where Orin is. Orin is. Both Jess and Tasha are reluctant to involve Ethan, so they tell him that Orin is at a shoe sale. The girls know that they need to help and that they should go to the FBI. Agent Ross, played by Lyndon Smith, is new to Baton Rouge, and when she's asked to meet with Jess and Tasha, she is skeptical of the report. Since neither is willing to give their real name or file an official kidnapping report, Ross thinks that is a prank and Tasha and Jess leave. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful scene here because they put real-world issues into this show. 
that you know she's not a fully American immigrant. She's not a fully American citizen. She's here on DACA, which was you know making the headlines, not I guess a couple of years ago now. And I just thought it was very well done. And Tasha was like, hey, don't give our information. You know, you saw what happened. We peacefully protest and then we got charged for rioting afterwards and things like that. It's very real world-ish. And it really does well to explain why they're so standoffish to the FBI agent. But I really, really liked it because if you remember in the first two movies in National Treasure, there was always that FBI aspect to it and now here we are getting our new FBI agent involved and I really 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 like this Agent Ross character because she's new she's trying to make a name for herself but we'll see later on the episode that she's like she kind of went in depth to her complaints I was like oh no no this is real and starts delving into it herself and I'm really excited to see where she comes into it uh Prior to the meeting, Jess was able to open the artifact and reveal the hidden, tre- hidden treasure map pieces inside. Reassembling the object, Jess and Tasha head to the USS Kid for their planned meeting with Billy and hope to frame her for shoplifting by hiding an item in the artifact. Naturally, the plan falls apart. Jess makes the exchange with Billy and Orin is set free. When they approach the MP on duty at the gift shop, Orin refuses to corroborate their story and Billy and her goons are let go. After leaving the USS Kid, Jess and her friends regroup to make their next move. They inform Orin about their discovery of the map. Oh, excuse me. And it is Orin who encourages them to keep up the treasure hunt. He didn't back up their story because Billy told him that she would have them all killed. Uh, deciding that there must be more clues at Peter Sadusky's house, Jess decides to make another trip to the deceased FBI agent's home. She, sh- she searches the bookshelves for clues when she is surprised by Jake, showing him the picture that was in Peter's letter. Liam still has no interest in this treasure hunt. Far from the city, Billy and her squad of goons have been able to access the relic and found the hidden keychain from the USS Kid's store. In Billy's mind, Jess is not something to forget about. She knows that it will make someone, it will take someone with unique abilities to have been able to open the relic, and Jess is someone that Billy is going to need to keep her eye on. Agent Ross can't let the encounter she had with Jess and Tasha out of her mind. She calls up on the uh, the files on Peter Sadesky and his career, only to learn that most of what Sadesky was involved with is redacted. Agent Ross know that, knows that, that something isn't right with the whole Sadesky case. Perhaps this de- decorated FBI agent didn't die of natural causes. Uh, fired from the storage company, Jess needs to find another job. It just so happens there's an opening for a server at the same bar that Liam sings at frequently. Liam gets one more set to sing before his boss informs him that he needs to go back to bartending because the bar is going to switch over to karaoke. Upset at the change, he, he decides that he needs to make a change in his life. So he approaches the now-hired Jess and explains to her that he wants to talk about the treasure. After work, he shows Jess the hidden clue room at Peter's house, an important unpublished academic paper where Liam's dad got his information from to start the treasure hunt. Jess is shocked to see that that academic paper was indeed written by her mother. Man, it, we are tamed. Like, there's so many lines to so many different things here, and it's all connected, this whole web of this treasure hunt. And it is expertly done, like very, very, very well done. Obviously, I think this Liam guy is going to be an issue at some point because I think he just wants the money because he does not want any part of this. And it's just kind of setting up that he wants out of this house, out of this town, and he wants to move to good old Nashville. Let me tell you, Liam, uh, if you're trying to go there for singing, you and hundreds of others every year do the same thing. So you got to have something that stands out and, you know, Nine times out of ten, it's not going to happen here. So, but man, National Treasure, Edge of History, I am 100% all in. It's got everything that I want in 
these kind of shows, and it's, it's going to be fun. Like even the whole Sherlock Holmes deduction thing when she's at the bar trying to get a job, he's like, oh, we don't need anybody else. You know, you don't have any history, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, and she starts listing all these things that's going on at the bar. And he's like, when can you start? And she goes, I can start now. And like it was table one needs sugar packets. That guy's chair is leaning. Um, someone's eating uh, barbecue for the first time, doesn't know how to eat it. And she's making a mess. It's like there's a whole bunch of random things that a good server and someone who pays attention to uh, details notices. And I just thought it was very well done. So. The CO2 was out mm. for the uh, soda fountain. Yeah. So they needed to change the tank. and it, Yeah. Um, I did not get a chance to rewatch the movies like I wanted to. No, I didn't either. I wanted to. But. but I don't feel like it's done well enough that if you haven't seen the films, you can kind of drop in and enjoy this. Yeah. If you saw the films but haven't seen them in a while you're still going to enjoy this um i'm hooked on it yeah and i know it's probably it's probably what six episodes hmm let me google that six or eight because uh, it's usually the stuff that we really like <laughs> we're like, oh, we're... yeah it's very limited yeah but then the stuff that you're like oh i'm not really interested in that they're like oh 50 episodes it's like oh okay Great, appreciate that. Ten episodes. Oh, that's better. Yeah, than and and they're all forty-five minutes long, so I am a okay with it. Congratulations, Disney! You did something. <laughs> um, and they're still way ahead of Warner Brothers. Correct. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, that it's really good. I, I like that uh, they're making us wait too for some of the returns. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we haven't gotten outside of Harvey Keitel's uh, Agent Sandusky, we haven't. I don't think we've seen somebody from the original show. Mm-hmm. We still have. Uh, we know Riley. I forget who who the actor is, but he, he was, yeah, he's like the sidekick. He's in the trailer, so I know he comes back. But I will literally shit a brick if they get Nicolas Cage to come back and they keep it under wraps like that. Because how great would that be? Like final episode. And it's just a one-off little meeting. He's like, huh, yeah. you found that home, kid. And that's just kind of it. Or like, good job or something. It acknowledges her. I'm like, yeah, I would love right. it. I, I could even see it comes down to some sort of standoff at the end. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, one, one of the bad guys gets taken out. And they're looking around. And they're like, what? Who? And there he is. Right. He's like, Come to steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> Which they mentioned him in one of the episodes, which was pretty funny. Uh, I think it was a second one because she was researching the case, and he was the FBI agent for that case. So yeah, that was pretty cool. They said he he solved the case of the guy who stole the Declaration of Independence. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was a good good movie. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Oh man, but I'm ready for it. Um. Quick news, run off here before we do, like, I'll read an actual story. The Santa Clauses was renewed for a season two. I'm excited about that because, you know, we, we worried about how are they going to wrap it up, and we hadn't heard any news. I think this dropped on Wednesday the same day that the last episode came out. So made me very happy that that happened. Um, 
Gotham Knights and Superman and Lois will both premiere on March 14th, 2023. Chris, we still have three more months until we get to watch Superman and Lois and see their fate. Gotham Knights, the same thing. So at least we'll have two shows at least to review <laughs> and talk about. The big concern with Superman and Lois, though, is they usually take about three months worth of breaks during yeah. the season. Yeah, good call. That's well into the end of the summer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the new story here I've got, it's a fun one. Prime Video officially orders a God of War series. Going to Deadline.com by Nelly Andriva. Prime Video has given a series order to God of War based on PlayStation's hugely popular ancient mythology-themed video game. Co-produced by Sony Pictures Television and Amazon Studios in association with PlayStation Productions, God of War will premiere on Prime Video in more than 240 countries and territories worldwide. Uh, the series had been in the works as a streamer since March when Deadline reported exclusively that Prime Video was in negotiations for property. Uh, written by Mark Fergus and Hawk Ostby, Iron Man and Children of Men, with Raphael Judkins, who made the Wheel of Time, serving as showrunner. The series follows Kratos, the god of war, who, after exiling himself from his blood-soaked past in ancient Greece, hangs up his weapons for now in the Norse realm of Midgard. With his, when his beloved wife dies, Kratos sets off on a dangerous journey with his estranged son to spread her ashes from the highest peak, his wife's final wishes. And listen, here we go. Uh, let me see if they talk about that. They don't talk about the story. But Corey Balrog, the creative director for the God of War series, is attached to the show. So it's going to be the same thing with Neil Druckmann for The Last of Us. We're getting it with God of War. And man, I cannot be excited. And with this news broke, of course, everyone's like, who's going to play Kratos? Who's going to play Kratos? And Christopher Judge himself, the guy who you know voice acts for it, says, I want to be him. So, like, all right, let's make that happen. Got so, to. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm very curious to see what they do, but I, I really, really want that. There's some, like, other names being put out, Dave Batista, which, I'm like, okay. But, I mean, it, my thing is, you've got a guy who is a giant who can play Kratos, who voices Kratos, who's gotten awards for voicing Kratos, Wanting to be him, come on, you know, and it's not like he doesn't have any acting chops, which voice acting and acting is the same thing, yes, but he also does mocap for Kratos, so it's not like he's doesn't know what he's doing, and he's also done some TV before, I think. So I'm like, come on, guys, I mean, y'all, y'all have to. So if they don't, do you think it hurts viewership? Uh, no, I don't think it will. I think it will suck. I mean, I'm still going to watch in, and I'm sure Christopher Judge will as well, but it's 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 a different thing, and I get it. So it's like having Troy Baker want to be Joel for Last of Us. It It's all about what the studio wants to do and pay for, which I'm sure um, Christopher Judge will audition for it. He'll probably be one of the final auditions for it, but if he doesn't get the role, he'll be in it somehow somewhere you know like to me the work he's done on the games is his audition right you you think yeah but executives like at amazon prime i'm sure have different mindsets and it's very different it's a different world they probably haven't played the games true but they're going they need to soon because oh man this most recent one um releases for the next three weeks again we're going to take a two-week break well, a one-week break, 
And then that second week we come back, it will be uh, just a recap and review of the year. We will, if you're new to the show, every at the beginning of our first episode of the year, we always pick our five favorites of the prior year. So this one will be 2022. Pick our five favorite TV shows, our five favorite movies out of 2022, and our five favorite games out of 2022, if we played that many, as far as games are released then. Because I played a lot of games this year. Not a lot of 2022. So... We will see. So releases for the next three weeks. Wednesday, December 21st, Jack Ryan Season 3. I am so damn excited for. Sunday, December 25th, which on Christmas, why you would do this, The Witcher Blood Origins on Netflix. Uh, apparently it's not reviewing well at all. Like, at all. So, I'm like, that's not good. Because it takes place a thousand years before Geralt. So, I mean... Anyways, Wednesday, December 28th, The Circle's new season on Netflix comes in. You know I'll be on that one. And then Wednesday, January 4th, Star Wars, The Bad Batch Season 2 jumps on Disney+. And that is it for our TV shows. That is it. So, so we're going on to movies. Uh, did you watch any other movies this week? Uh, no, I did want to watch National Treasure. Never got to it, though. Yeah. What about yeah, you, Chris? I Anything? I didn't get to national treasure i did check out off of uh someone's recommendation guillermo del toro's mm, how was that i really liked it okay it's, uh it's like a, a stop action type animation that's the first thing that pulled up on my letterbox too i just pull it up it's popular this week pinocchio pinocchio um it's a little bit different, obviously, if you grew up watching the Disney Pinocchio. Um, you're... This one has some imagery. It, it's very much Del Toro, right? Because mm. the imagery is starkly different from what you're used to. Um, Pinocchio, for most of the movie, does look like he's made from a tree. Right. Because he's, <laughs> it's not like the cartoon where he he's painted up to look similar to a boy you know um but it's it's very entertaining it's it's the story of pinocchio right uh but it does um it does have a lot actually real quick here because del toro is able to get the some of the top people out there and uh i, I want to get this right let's see the cast uh, for Pinocchio 2022. Now there's a Disney that's coming out. Don't confuse the two. Yeah, because that's that was weird for me because they had them around the same time. Especially like they were in the news cycle a lot around the same time. You know, it's hard to keep them separated. Ewan McGregor is the voice of Jiminy Cricket. Oh, that's right. Dave oh, that's Bradley, exciting. Geppetto. Um, Ron Perlman has a character he voices, Podesta. Is That's a good Turo. one for him. Is it Finn Wolfhard? Uh, most familiar to people from Stranger Things. Voices Candlewick in this. Spazatura is voiced by Kate Blanchett. Man, they are really star-studded for this thing. Yeah. Tim Blake Nelson voices Black Rabbits. Count Volpe, who's the main villain in the piece, is voiced by Christoph Waltz. Uh, Tilda Swinton voices the Wood Sprite. So, I mean, there's 
it's just it's really entertaining it's really fun to watch um for me i gave it three and a half stars hmm. uh just because it was so different than what i'm used to with the pinocchio story right i was kind of like it was it was a little bit of an adjustment but it's very very well done worth the watch um is that on netflix so, uh is that a netflix i think it is i think so let me double check but definitely give it a go. I think it's um, it might go down as yeah, it's Netflix. Awesome. Um, it might go down as the favorite Pinocchio for a lot of people. Mm. Pinocchio in review is what it sounds like, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> All right, our main movie this week, our main review. This is our last Christmas movie that we are reviewing for the year it's our last movie to review for the year period yeah a christmas story christmas do we want to go full spoilers it's been out for uh month yeah let's yeah let's go full spoilers it's not like big deal so i'm gonna read the longer plot here um some of this is gonna help if you've if you've seen the original which most people have Something else I also want to rewatch this week, but never got around to. Yeah, there's a lot that. Man, I miss being a kid when the holidays meant having time off. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that nice? Yeah, Zoe's got uh, two weeks off of everything. And I was like, God, what I would do for that time right now. <laughs> so the plot is essentially as follows In December of 1973, 33 years after the events of a Christmas story. Ralphie Parker has moved away from Coleman, Indiana and lives in Chicago with his loving wife Sandy and two children Mark and Julie. Ralphie has been taking the year off from an unspecified rat race job to write his first novel, but its excessive length leads multiple publishers to reject it. Yeah, it's over 2,000 pages long. Mm-hmm. So, Which is not abnormal this day and age. Like, but but yeah, seventy three is extremely long. It's also a sci fi novel, so right. That um, as the family prepares for Ralphie's parents to come visit for Christmas, Mrs. Parker calls to tell Ralphie his father, A.K.A. the old man, has sadly died. The grief stricken family makes its way to Homan and Ralphie's beat up nineteen sixty six Plymouth to be with Mrs. Parker, who's received a large number of casseroles as condolence offerings. She gives Ralphie two tasks, write his father's obituary, and take up his mantle of making Christmas special for the family. Ralphie's children befriended one of the Bumpus kids next door and are bullied by two children on a snowmobile. Ralphie reunites with Flick, who now owns a tavern, and Schwartz, who still lives with his mother and has run up a large tab at Flick's. He also takes his family out tree shopping and, failing to replicate his father's negotiation skills, ends up with a tree too tall for the house's living room. While decorating, Julie becomes nervous there isn't an angel to top, with, to top it with. Improvising, Ralphie tells her Santa Claus looks for stars in home and not angels. All the, wh- all the while, he finds his first typewriter in the attic and begins work on the old man's obituary, struggling to find the right words and instead using his makeshift workspace to write the sequel to his still unpublished novel. While leaving the house to go ice skating, Sandy slips and sprains her ankle, causing her to need crutches. As Christmas Eve approaches, the family goes to Higby's, where, miraculously, Ralphie manages to buy everything Mark and Julie ask for, 
while their children wait in line to see Santa. A tipsy Sandy and, Miss, and Mrs. Parker, as well as the store's entire restaurant, are thrilled. On the way back, the Plymouth breaks down again and the family passes the time needed for it to cool down by having a snowball fight. Ralphie accidentally hits Julie in the eye with a snowball, which requires a trip to the emergency room and a temporary eye patch. All of the gifts are stolen from the car's pop trunk when the family is inside the hospital, and Sandy has very little money left to replace them. Back at Flick's, Flick gives Mark on on-the-spot first job bartending. His patient. I loved this scene. Like I really enjoyed this scene, and this and even the the beginning of the bar. Like when we first go to Flick's uh, bar for the first time, and the wife calls in, and everyone's like, "Oh no, no, not here!" And everyone just stops in their tracks. I loved it. Yeah. And even better when the kid was involved. Yeah, it was great. Um, his patience with Schwartz worn thin. Flick offers to forgive Schwartz's tab if he completes a physical stunt, the ramp. Schwartz succeeds after being triple dog dared to do it, and his tab is forgiven. Soon all of the bar patrons begin sledding, leading to Mark breaking his arm. Ralphie is then rejected by his final prospective publisher, whom he'd been pestering the whole week to accept. Disheartened, he throws the second manuscript away and gives up on writing. After some comfort from Sandy and remembering the Christmases of yesteryear, Ralphie suddenly gains a burst of inspiration and writes a piece that far exceeds the length of a normal obituary, tearing up at the memories of the old man. However, he leaves it on the desk rather than sending it to the newspaper to prepare for Christmas Day. Mark and Julie manage to get back at their bullies by building a snowman over a tree stump so the snowmobile <laughs> Genius. <crashes> <laughs> it was fantastic. I love that. Um, that night, though, Julie becomes upset after the tree's star falls and breaks. Ralphie, frustrated, goes out against his wife and mother's urgings to find a new one. Since all the stores are closed, his only option is to borrow the star with a beer company logo on it from the tree in Flick's Tavern, breaking and entering the premises to do so. On his way out, he's caught and apprehended by Scott Farkas, now a police officer. Ralphie's terrified at what Scott will do to him, but after some initial teasing, he actually brings him home, saying he owes Ralphie, because their fight set him on a better path in life. He also unknowingly reveals his own children to have been the bullies of Mark and Julie. As Mrs. Parker and Ralphie reminisce about the old man, the Christmas tree once again blows a fuse. The former orders the latter to bed, saying she needs to learn these things herself now. Mm -hmm. Christmas morning, Ralphie's confused by compliments he receives about his piece in the newspaper. Sandy, it turns out, found the obituary manuscript and took it to the local paper, and its high quality led to it taking the front page as a full column and quickly being syndicated. Ralphie's offered a new job as a syndicated columnist, fulfilling his dream of leaving the rat race and becoming a full-time writer. Opening presents, it's discovered the old man had bought and personally wrapped very thoughtful gifts for the family shortly before his death. Much of the town soon comes to the Parker house for Christmas dinner, along with Ralphie's younger brother Randy, fresh from a business trip to India. After dinner concludes, the core family asks Ralphie to read his story about the old man. Seeing his father's vacant red chair, but realizing he's still very much there that day in spirit, Ralphie takes a seat and begins to read, fully embracing his new role as the old man's successor. It's revealed the story is in fact that of Christmas 1940, as Ralphie's narration of it fades and transitions into Gene Shepard's from the original film. And scene. 
So I, yes, I was not very high on it until about midway through until the ending of it. And then I was really, really enjoying it. I think I gave it a three and a half stars or three stars on Christmas store just because of that fact. I wasn't really into it until right there at the end. But man, the when they came up and the presents are from his dad and the grandparent was just beautiful. Like I was like, oh, okay, so the, the mom went out and bought all this stuff. But no, it was the grand the dad had already bought it all and was planning to take it with him. And but would have really sucked though if they would have found all that and already bought everything again. But you know. Still good. So good. Um, I like the bit when they're on their way there. Every time the radiator overheats, they, crack an egg. <laughs> they put an egg in it. <laughs> it's such like a That's 70s thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The one thing I didn't get, and I mean, I guess you could say it's the characters, right? The second time that the radiator overheats when they stop to have the snowball fight. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, we have to let it cool down naturally. And I'm thinking, there's snow all over yeah. around. We're in, we're in Indiana, Indiana with snow. Dude. Who decks his kid with that snowball right in the eye? I laughed so hard at that. He says, see if you can hit me from out here. And he picks it up and turns and just nails her in the eye. And she just falls. I was like, oh my God, that's great. <laughs> she comes yeah. out of the ER with the eye patch on. Oh God, I loved it. Oh man. The reveal from... Marcus about his kids being the bullies didn't really hit home with me. I didn't either. I was like, kind of already figured that out. Yeah, I figured that's who it was. Yeah. Um, I did like the touch where uh, after the after the crash of the snowmobile, one of his kids gets up and they're like, "He peed his pants." (laughs) His whole suit's just like he's like, "No, I didn't. No, I didn't." Um, I. You could tell that the, this whole thing was basically a tribute. Yes. I felt to, to um, the old man mm-hmm. character. And uh, I thought they did that well. I yeah. They brought it along at a, good, at a good pace. They didn't... It was mentioned a lot, but they didn't beat you over the head with it. It was done subtly in a lot of ways. Um, so that was good. I like that. Uh, now they did recast the mom because I looked it up. The the actress that originally played the mom in the film, she's like eighty three now. Oh wow! Yeah, it would have worked out timeline wise. <sighs> no, I mean, it, so they that made sense to recast. But I love that they got so many of the original. Mm-hmm. I loved that. Uh, I was afraid the brother wasn't going to be in it much because like they called him from India. I was like, oh, so they probably got him for like one day and they're not going to do anything else with them. And then he came in at the end and said, okay, good. Yeah. Um, I think even the, I'm not sure about the Santa, but I, the elf that was sending people down mm-hmm. the slide, I think it was even the same actor. Right. Well, I want to look that up. Um, but I, even some of the lines, like as Ralphie's kids are going to get in line to see Santa, he's like, don't let him kick you in the face. Yeah, just some of the the nods to the old one. And I wish we would have gotten the lamp leg back. Like we kind of got it, but we didn't get the yeah, leg. Yeah. yeah, so I was really hoping we got uh, that. We, we did get the bunny suit. Yes, very funny. Yeah, and we got the... Um, 
we got the radio mm-hmm. where he's tuning it to get the update on Santa. Um, but you brought up too, and, and this was also a favorite bit of mine, is during the end credits, they have these images that mirror images from the original movie. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool that they they paid that kind of attention. <laughs> It was it was more of a fan servicey movie, but it was a very good story fan servicey movie. Like it wasn't just made just to be made. It was a a good like if that if a Christmas story is your favorite movie, then this sequel did a really good justice to it, and you know brought all your favorite people back, referenced a lot of things. I did love the the very small amount of clips we got in reference of a Christmas story. Like they didn't beat you over the head with those either. They just said, you know, here's like three seconds of how this is relevant kind of thing. And I think they maybe only did it three or four times in the whole two hour movie. Uh, as he's, he's reading his story and he gets to, I guess, a bit of dialogue in the story mm-hmm. and they overlay that dialogue. Oh, so good, man. Um, interesting thing too is two of the producers. One of the one of the producers was Peter Billingsley, who stars as Ralphie. Mm-hmm. One of the other producers was Vince Vaughn. Really? Oh, yeah. Hmm. I thought that was kind of cool. He should have um, been a cameo. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that that would have been interesting. Yeah, you know, or like, maybe he, he just. He could have made a cameo as one of the publishers, or right. There's some small in there. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, let me double check that because could have been in disguise somewhere. Well, I'm wondering, could he have been Santa? And a Christmas story, Christmas. It says live and on the air reporting here. Research. Um, usually folks will pop in on something like this I'm not saying no I don't have anything I was just saying that he was credited for producing huh David Gillespie played Santa okay Hmm. he did a fine job it just would have been really interesting hit Vince Vaughn snuck in there in a roll. Right. Um, I gave this, I think I gave, what I gave this? Four, I think. Four stars yeah. on Letterboxd. I think this year, Spirited, by far, was my favorite Christmas movie we watched. And even this week, yeah. I was still listening to Good Afternoon, just because I can't get that out of my head. <laughs> yeah. Good movies all yeah. the way around, though. I mean, mm-hmm. we've, we've had some good ones. We This whole year, I don't think we've had... I don't think we've had a bad movie this year that I can remember. Eh. I think I'll give us like two stars. I don't think I'll give anything one star this year. When was Thunder Force? Oh, that was <laughs> that was three years ago. Because <laughs> I wasn't living in this house then. The, the wounds are still fresh. Yeah, it's, every time any of those characters are <laughs> Force is brought up, it's just automatically ingrained in my head. <laughs> um, next week, well, not next week. Two weeks from now. Mm-hmm. No, three weeks from now. Three yeah. Weeks from now. I'm confused. Um, 
glass onion, a knives out mystery. Starting yeah. the new year out right, because trust me, we could have done it with Black Adam. <laughs> yeah. No. Don't tempt me, Chris. I'll make it happen. No. <laughs> I don't really want that. I'm scarred enough as it is. Um, which sucks, because I was really hoping that that would yeah. do better. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, it's... Um, it's gonna be scrapped, and I hate we that. haven't watched it yet, no. so we may we may like it. Yeah, we'll see. It might just be my favorite movie of ever of all time, but I doubt. I yeah, doubt it's gonna I, be I Iron Man. Yeah, it's it's gonna be hard to beat those. <laughs> um, notable news: Dune Two has wrapped filming. Yeah, is uh, who makes Dune? Uh, Lionsgate, Fox? I think. Lionsgate. Who makes Dune? Basically, Dune. since it's not Warner Brothers, you don't have to worry about them yeah. shelving it. Westwood so. Studios is who it is. Okay. And Dennis of Vidwave. Uh, finally, the DCU and Henry Cavill have split. Dude, we get something every single week. And although this is not the news I wanted at all, I'm just glad that James Gunn is being so transparent with everything. And he answers questions. I know I've said it before. He answers a lot of questions, but he's being very transparent about all of this. So. Before we get into the tweets tied to this, uh, do you think it's possible that we see Henry Cavill try and go back to The Witcher? So they, I think, who made the statement? I think Netflix made the statement that Liam, they're still moving forward with Liam Hensworth. So I think that ship has sailed. And I think it's because it, Henry Cavill did not like what they were doing with The Witcher. Because he told them very early on, I saw another interview that came up recently, that he told them early on that they have to stay to the source material. By, uh, Andre, I forget the guy's last name, who wrote the books. He said, you have to stay to the source material or else we're going to have a problem. And I think the season three that's about to come out, they started to go away from it. And the creators said, you know, are kind of going away from the story. And he's not happy about that because he said, you have to stick with the source material. We are honoring this man's work. We are not going to deviate from it. But I think that's part of the reason he's gone and the whole Superman thing. But here we are. (laughs) Yeah. So three tweets from James gun and then we'll get to a statement Henry Cavill released um, Gunn said Peter and I have a DC slate ready to go which we couldn't be more over the moon about we'll be able to share some exciting information about our first projects at the beginning of the new year and I, I want to touch on um, our thoughts about that mm-hmm. among those on the slate is Superman in the initial stages, our story will be focusing on an earlier part of Superman's life, so the character will not be played by Henry Cavill. But we just had a great meeting with Henry, and we're big fans, and we talked about a number of exciting possibilities to work together in the future. Henry Cavill released a statement saying, I've just had a meeting with James Gunn and Peter Safran, and it's sad news, everyone. I will, after all, not be returning as Superman. After being told by the studio to announce my return back in October prior to their hire, this news isn't the easiest, but that's life. The changing of the guard is something that happens. I respect that. 
James and Peter have a universe to build. I wish them and all involved with the new universe the best of luck and the happiest of fortunes. For those who have been by my side through the years, we can mourn for a bit, but then we must remember, Superman is still around. Everything he stands for still exists, and the examples he sets for us are still there. My turn to wear the cape has passed, but what Superman stands for never will. It's been a fun ride with you all, a war onwards and upwards. So, mm. um, what didn't get mentioned there in any of that is something that I'd sent to you that Henry Cavill is going to be producing and potentially starring in Warhammer 40,000. Mm -hmm. That's coming up. So. But we also have the early DC slate. Yeah. I'd like to speculate. Because they're starting out with Superman. Right. And a young Superman and early on, which I am A-okay with. We're not having a um, Zack Snyder Superman where we kind of glimpse his life. Where it sounds like we're getting a beginning of the journey kind of Superman. Yeah. Something we have not seen since was it Christopher Reeves? No, we've had to have seen that prior. I need to go back and watch all the Superman movies because I don't think we've had an early Superman. You know, I'm trying to remember Brandon Ruth's. Right, that's that, that's my problem. I don't. I haven't seen some of those movies in a long time. I remember he he was working at the Daily Planet in that movie. Yeah. So. But he, I don't think he was. A, I don't think he was a cub reporter at that time. He was, well, even with Tyler Hecklin, we still didn't get the early on Superman. Where, you know, we got teenagers now, and we saw the little his first suit with the Action Comics throwback, but that was it. So, I mean, we haven't seen it in a, especially a long time. So I'm very curious to see um, to see that. I don't. I know we're so. They're speculating the first week to two weeks we get this statement. Because, I mean, he's going to have to tell the investors what's coming up and to keep people investing. And I, I know they're hard at work at it. But with his statement of saying that, you know, they left on good terms, they can't wait to work together again, we're definitely going to get a crisis on Infinite Earth where we have one not by the CW but by a big studio with Warner Brothers and DCU. And I feel like we're going to get all the Superman back, like kind of how they did with um, Spider-Man. And I, I know it's going to be a while, but that is going to be a, a get-hype moment, and I can't wait for that. What bothers me is DC's so built upon Superman, Batman especially, but also like Wonder Woman. Yeah, the so Holy Trinity. Whenever, whenever they reboot, we keep rebooting the same characters. Mm -hmm. It's like, so, I don't know. I, I think the challenge for them is going to be, there's a lot of people that could play Batman. Right. I think there's a fair number that could play Superman. Gal Gadot was kind of... Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And that that upsets you, me. <laughs> how do you find someone else to take that on? I. Yeah. We said the same thing with Linda Carter, though. So, I mean... Yeah, but that was different. That was, you know... Decades ago. 40, 40 50 <laughs> years ago. Um, 
I don't know who you get to play Superman. Who do you get to play a young? Mm-mm. I mean, Superman. you've got Tyler Hecklin and Henry Cavill already, and I'm like, those two are who I think is Superman now, especially Henry Cavill, and just because it's my age growing up, it's it was Henry Cavill, you know, because he's been around since. Damn, I guess it was high school for me. It was with him as my first Superman, and. Tom Welling can come back, maybe. You know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're going for a younger Superman. It's not going to be Welling, yeah. but <laughs> but you know, we know it's not going to be Ezra Miller. He's out no, of the running. God, just get him as far away from everything as possible. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know who you reach out to. I did see where Michael Rosenbaum said that he wants to play Lex Luthor in mm-hmm. the um, in the DCU. Yeah. I think, I think a, a movie series or movies would be better off for him, because he hated just doing working with CW, I believe, and having to keep his head shaved for so long. But when you're doing it for a movie, it's not that long. But I know they are in talks of doing a, not a redo of Smallville, but like a continuation a little bit. I'm trying to think what it's called. He just was at a panel and was talking about it. He said, him and Tom have already talked about it. He says, yeah, obviously we need to get in shape for it. He said, Miles and Al um, would have to come back and want to do it. They said, but we do want to continue the story a little bit. And then someone asked about the animated series. He says, yes, the same thing. That one is in development where Al's and Miles just got done with Wednesday. And they're hoping for, they said, March or April to uh, head that up and get that started going for the animated series. So... We will see. But, man, I it's... Where, I don't know. I saw where somebody suggested Michael B. Jordan. Mm. Well, so they're still moving forward with that Superman story. Yeah, like but the, I wonder I wonder if that's going to... You remember when Arrow was in it, so it was his first season. Mm. And they were going to introduce Harley Quinn. And Warner Brothers was like, no, you're not. Right be in the Suicide Squad movie so I wonder if a similar thing might happen where they tell him no yeah, no. We're, we're rebooting this this is all going to be continuity based like Marvel we're not going to have two Supermen out here so your project shelved right we're see I would have loved I love Michael B. Jordan I think he would be great um, wish it was Black Panther but the world, I hate this. I hate this so much. We as a society, community, whatever you want to call us, are not ready for a black Superman yet. Because the all the, the, the backlash and things that will get spread because, you know, Superman's not black. He's always been a white guy. Why has, he got, why has he ever got to pander to the liberals and stuff like that? I hate it. I love, like, that's why I want that black Superman story to, to go through. Um, Michael B. Jordan, he's just producing it. I don't think he's acting in it. There's nothing. We haven't, I don't, we haven't really had news since last year about that, huh? God. Yeah. To, to me, if they were to put a stop to it, it would probably be to cast him. Yeah. I, I would be 100% on board. And I would buy so many tickets and showings just so they could get that money because... The world's a terrible place, and I want that. God, could you imagine, though, Chris, Michael B. Jordan as Superman? 
That would be so cool. Yeah. Oh man, maybe. Maybe we'll see. Yeah. If anybody uh, could do it, James Gunn could. Yeah, I was gonna say if if anybody is gonna push forward and say I don't really care what people think. Yeah. We're doing this, and that's how it's gonna have to be. Yeah. Uh, releases this week or these next two and a half weeks. Uh, Glass Onion, Knives Out Mysteries, gonna land on Netflix December twenty third. Give all you folks something to watch on Christmas Day mm-hmm. after you've eaten wrapped presents. I started to say eating presents, but I guess, it depends on what you get. Yeah. <laughs> um, in Cinemas, Babylon comes out December 23rd. And on Netflix on January 6th, The Pale Blue Eye. That's the Edgar Allan Poe one. With uh, Christian Bale and who is the other one? Yeah, it's a Pale Blue Eyes upcoming American thriller film starring Christian Bale as a detective in 1830 in West Point, New York, who investigates. Let me go pull that up. Blah, 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 blah. Who investigates a series of murders with the assistance of a young Edgar Allan Poe. Film is written, directed by Scott Cooper, adapted from the 2003 novel of the same name by Lewis Byard. So. Uh, Harry Milling, Gillian Anderson, Lucy Bonton, Charlotte Gainsbourg, Toby Jones, Harry Lotte, Simon McBurney, Timothy Spall, and Robert Duvall. We might have to wait and put this on our list. Yeah. Because that might be a good film. Yeah, well, I'm not going to be upset if we push Black Adam back another <laughs> Don't put that one in its place. <laughs> uh, I'll put it on here. Just go for it. Oh man, we, we we do like our detective and mystery. Yes. Um, so, Tyler, games, video. Chris, have you been playing anything this week? Not a whole lot. No. Mm. Uh, I kind of spent time with TV shows this week. I don't blame you. Another movie. And... I have. Destiny 2 had its dawning event, been playing nonsense out of that. And today, actually, I started playing uh, High on Life, that uh, Rick and Morty creator, God, I forget his name right now, uh, Justin Rowland game. It's it's different. It's fun. It's got that, that Rick and Morty humor in it, all filled all through it. And if you've seen the trailers of it, and it's, it's just like the trailers. Gameplay is actually pretty decent, and I'm only like two hours in but i'm enjoying it so far so we'll see if i keep going through which i should it's just it's taking me a minute to to get through destiny has got its grip in me and i i guess that's his creed armor what else do i need um (laughs) video game news this week hideo kojima productions will develop and produce a death stranding movie we're going to variety.com by jordan moreau Another massively popular video game is getting the big screen treatment. This time, it's Hideo Kojima's action game, Death Stranding. Kojima Productions is partnering with Alex Lebovici's Hammerstone Studios to develop and produce the film based on a 2019 video game from Kojima. This will be the first feature from Kojima Productions, and it will introduce new elements and characters into the Death Stranding world. Quote, I couldn't be more excited about this new partnership with Hammerstone Studios, said Kojima. This is a pivotal moment for the franchise, and I'm really looking forward to collaborating with them and bringing Death Stranding to the big screen. 
The original game challenges players to reconnect a fractured society after the cataclysmic death stranding event. This has opened a doorway between the living and the dead, leading to creatures from the afterlife roaming the fallen world marred by desolate society. Carrying the disconnected remnants of humanity's future in his hands, players embody Sam Bridges as he embarks on a mission to deliver hope to humanity by connecting the last survivors of a decimated America. Now, my question is, do you think they get the stars of the game to actually act in the movie? I would like for them to. Yeah, because they've played the characters and they are all big time actors. So mean. Yeah, it. See, for some reason, it bothers me less going that way than it does the other way. I'm I'm less bothered by recasting for a film or a TV show mm. than I am when you make a video game based on a film or TV show. And yes. You have, different actors playing the parts you clearly tell they're nothing alike <laughs> right yeah that irritates me more and early uh, 2000s was a rough time that was when they were notorious for doing that it was oh so bad yeah mm. terrible and and they even continued which they got better with it but the avengers video game they did that they mm-hmm. they didn't have the the mcu folks in there so they still had good uh, voice actors but it, it, yeah it was definitely not the same and not a fan. So, yeah. And then our last news story of the year, Chris, Henry Cavill to act and produce for a series adaptation for Warhammer 40K. We're going to the HollywoodReporter.com by Boris Kitt, who broke this news. Henry Cavill may not be donning a red cape, but he does have a cool new gig. The actor who Wednesday officially hung up his Man of Steel cape after Warner Brothers announced it is going in a new Superman direction thanks to the DCU Studios, blah, 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 we talked about that, is attached to star and executive produce a series adaptation for Warhammer 40,000, the popular science fiction fantasy miniature war game that is set up at Amazon. Amazon secured the rights to the game produced by Games Workshop after months of negotiations of fending off rival companies that has sought the rights. This is envisioned as a potential film and TV play. No writers or showrunners are attached. Vertigo Entertainment's Roy Lee and Natalie Viscuso teamed with Cavill to secure the rights and deliver it to Amazon. Vertigo will EP with Cavill and GAW's Andy Smiley and Max Bortrill along with Amazon Studios. Quote, it's great news and we're absolutely thrilled. We're working with a fantastic triumvirate in Henry, Vertigo, and Amazon. Henry's well-known love of Warhammer 40K and his passion as a world builder and storyteller storyteller will serve us all well in the years to come. Finally, Warhammer will make it to the screen as the fans of hope and as they deserve. Exciting times, said Andy Smilly, creative director of GAW. This is a passion project of his, and Henry Cavill is always messing with Warhammer things. All over his Instagram, and whenever he does interviews, he's always talking about Warhammer. So this is, yes, he might be hanging up The Witcher and Superman, but to do something on a project that you know that you're going to be able to put all the, the producing and things into and make it what it should be, and that's going to be a fan service to the fans, I I think he's going to be very, very, very well off and distracted from everything else. So good for you, Henry. You have filled our year up with plenty of news. And why not for the last show episode of the year to have it filled with Henry Cavill just like I intended it. <laughs> Notable new releases for the next three weeks. I've got Naraka Blade Point for Xbox One, December 22nd. Um they don't have generally we don't have anything the last week of the year or the first week of the year so 
as where we get our drought. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for sticking with us for a whole nother year of 2022. Uh, it has been a fun one. We always really enjoy doing this show every week. Uh, next year is going to be a lot more fun. Thank you so much for listening to the last episode of the Nerdlight Podcast for 2022. Don't forget to share on all your favorite social media platforms and forget to rate and review this podcast on whatever your favorite podcasting service is. On Twitter, for now, you can follow us at nerd underscore wide. You can follow me personally at Ty underscore Haynes or you can follow Chris at MavTN7. Of course, Twitter is doing Twitter things with who owns it and is doing things as we speak right now with it. Uh, on Facebook side of things, if you go to Facebook and search in NerdWide Podcast, NerdWide.com, NerdWide, we are the very first thing that pops up. Follow us on either Facebook or Twitter right now, and those will be the first places you can know when we go live if you are not subscribed. Uh, if you're subscribed, you don't have to worry about it because you get a pop-up notification on your phone whenever an episode posts. As always, this has been this week's episode and this year of NerdWide Podcast. Thank you so much again for listening and watching. And we can't wait to come at you on January 1st with our top five recap of 2022. Until then, have a happy holidays, and we will see you then.